Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. So today I'm joined by Steve Keim of the full-time 2019 program. How's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about your background a little bit. Yeah. I, I've, so uh, let me just preface this. I've heard your name so much that I'm actually glad that we ran into each yeah, other today at great. this uh, DCF uh, event. Um, you can find me at all the finance functions around campus. Yeah. So your background is in accounting. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Um, so I studied accounting undergrad at Arizona State, went on to pursue a master's degree at USC in accounting, received a CPA. But uh, during my time in my master's degree, I decided that I didn't want to become an auditor mm-hmm. um, you know, for various reasons. And so uh, I, instead, I went into a consulting type role okay. at an economic consulting firm. And what'd you do there? Yeah, so uh, I worked at a place called Cornerstone Research. Those of you who are familiar with the space probably will recognize the name, but if you're not, economic consulting is a sp- is sort of a, a term that is used for consulting and litigation. So we would do economic and financial analysis generally at the request of attorneys to help companies understand the implications of a lawsuit that they may be engaged in. Mm. So, you know, for instance, how much they could be on the hook to pay, sort of the liability. Other times we would craft arguments that would you know, try to help our clients better articulate how they got into the position that they're in, um, whether you know, it was their fault or maybe it wasn't. And so we would sort of do the non-legal analysis for generally securities litigation. So I see. And so accounting obviously helped out. For yeah. That. So for instance, I worked on a project where our client had purchased a company. And after acquiring this company, they discovered that the company had sort of Perhaps you could say cooked its books. Mm. Um, you know, that's obviously a legal term. Uh, but anyways, they found that there were some overstated revenues. And right. so what we did is we looked at the revenue figures and tried to adjust them based on our understanding of what actually occurred okay. and what the proper accounting was. And then using that analysis, we would then go back and revalue the company saying, had our client known what this company was actually generating in, re- in terms of revenues, what would they have paid for the company? Right, right. And so the difference in price, what they actually paid versus what they probably would have paid had they had the full truth is the damages. And so those were the types of projects that we worked on quite frequently. I see. And uh, so what attracted you to the finance realm? Uh, now or previously? I guess previously and now. Yeah, I've always... So I started out studying accounting and I found the problems there, you know, call me a nerd or whatever you want, but the accounting problems were quite interesting because you're set up with a structured framework. Similar to law, you're given a set of rules and how you deal with those rules and how you apply those rules can really affect your business dramatically. So I really liked thinking about problems from a logical perspective, given a framework of rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then taking that a step forward, realizing that finance is kind of the next step. Hmm. In other words, you've got these numbers, you've got these accounting numbers that you can you know, sort of use to your advantage or disadvantage. Now, what do you do with them? You have to digest them in order to take action. Mm-hmm. So this is what drew me into investment banking. So for the summer, I'll be spending my summer at Morgan Stanley in their Los Angeles office working across nice. a mergers and acquisitions team and a uh, coverage team, a team that covers West Coast companies. Hmm. And so very excited to see, you know, how that fits into kind of my intellectual curiosities mm-hmm. and, um, you know, my long-term sort of career vision. Coming to school, did you explore any other paths, career paths? Well, 
Uh, certainly have had many conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a chartered financial analyst, which sort of lends itself really well to portfolio management. Mm-hmm. Um, and as many people are aware who have tried to pursue that career path, it's, it's sort of nebulous, mm-hmm. um, kind of difficult. You have to kind of go figure it out on your own. Whereas investment banking, at least for a summer internship, was very well structured. From day one at Haas, I knew kind of what I needed to do to get the job. You know, there's a, basically a checklist of things that you do. And if you do those things and you do them well, then you're all but guaranteed a position for the summer. Mm-hmm. And another function of it is if you're coming in as a first year and you think, well, maybe I want to do banking, maybe I want to do something else. I mean, I, I sort of knew I wanted to do banking, but if if you're unsure of it, the thing about banking is if you don't do the summer internship, it's unlikely that you're ever going to be able to get the full-time position. Yep. In contrast, you know, consulting, for example, if you do a banking internship, you may still be eligible to go back and re-recruit for consulting after mm-hmm. afterwards. But just the way the banking industry is structured and the competitive nature of it, the internship is a sort of a critical factor in you being able to get a full-time position afterwards. So structurally, you sort of have to do the internship. If I was to advise somebody kind of on the edge, I would encourage you to do the uh, the banking internship to give it a shot because it's it's your one shot. It's interesting you bring that up because uh, you just reminded me that uh, I think I remember there's one student that did both. Yeah, did, Clarissa maybe. Yeah, Clarissa did both mm-hmm. banking and consulting this past summer. I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, an exceptional <laughs> case. I don't know the story there, but certainly uh, one that's we'll, enviable. We'll we'll, um, we'll find out when I when I talk to her. Yeah, I would I would be uh, <laughs> e- I'm eagerly waiting. Yeah, it's a much uh, a lot of people have actually asked for that interview, so. So let's uh, walk back through the beginning because you, you've been here for a year now. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, right. Just about a year. And what was it like from the beginning? Kind of talk us through the timeline. It, it's funny because today, this morning, I, I talked to Bill Rinfus, um, yeah. and he walked me through the timeline as well. But I just want our listeners to hear what is that timeline like? Sure. Beginning in August. Yeah, it starts pretty much in August. And I'll get some of the dates wrong here, but I'll try to get the the chronology right. But basically, first day on campus, you know, you're still getting your your wits about you, trying to figure out where the different classrooms are. But before long, you'll get an email about a panel. Mm. Um, lots of panels. There's different career, I, I can't remember what they call them, but basically they're teasers. That, you know, they'll have one about consulting, they'll have one about banking, they'll have one about asset management. And right. basically, current students who had completed an internship in that field will sort of present their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the career advisors will kind of give an industry overview, what the jobs look like, what the you know salary looks like, what the hours look like, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing. I, I, they call it a primer, now yep. that I, I can remember that. But with banking, after the primer, you're pretty much given a week before you have to decide whether you want to be, whether you're interested in Yeah. Because the banks show up to campus very quickly, yeah, and they come frequently. So I think for about a period of four weeks, we had probably four banks showing up Monday through Thursday from 4 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we call, at Haas, we call these tent events, but mm-hmm. really they're just company presentations that are usually followed by a mixer. Right. And the great things about Haas is, you know, we're a small campus, we're a small community. So you really get a great chance to meet the bankers and really talk to them about their careers and what they find interesting about their careers and then how their company differentiates itself from others. Right. Um, so that's a great way to kind of get to know people and get to know the industry early on and start making connections. 
after that, the finance club and with help from CMG, we schedule treks. Mm-hmm. Um, we call them tracks, but basically you go to the company's office. So you'll you know go to JP Morgan's office and they'll present, they'll, they'll bring out some, you know, some different people that didn't come to campus to present about their career. Right. And another opportunity to learn more about the company, to meet more people, and just to get a better sense of what the industry is all about, where you fit into it. You know, so if you're interested in tech, how do you get into JP Morgan's tech group? Or right. you know, if you're actually if you're interested in debt, you know, there's there's leverage finance groups, there's debt capital markets, there's different things like that. So mm-hmm. you start to see a broader range of what the banks do and what their capabilities are. And then just sort of get an inside look about their culture. Mm. Now, after these treks kind of die down, and, and concurrently with these treks, most students will sort of conduct what we call coffee chats, yeah. which are you know informational interviews with bankers. And sometimes you know you sort of you meet, you've met these people at a trek, or you met them at the uh, the tent event, and you shoot them an email and say, "Hey, you know, I'm so and so. I'm at Haas. I would love to learn more about your your profession." And by and large. Most people, most bankers are very receptive to these calls, uh, very eager to take Hossie's calls. Um, So over the course of a month and a half or so, depending on how many banks you're interested in recruiting for, you end up, or you should try to end up meeting with maybe anywhere from two to five people, perhaps more people from each bank. Mm -hmm. Different banks have different, you know, sort of criteria. Some banks want to meet you more frequently. Other banks only want to get to know you, you know, want to meet you once or twice. And then... And then that's enough for them. From there, you apply via you know, CMG's the career portal, mm-hmm. submitting your cover letter and your resume. Pretty straightforward. But the great thing about the application, which goes in in kind of November, is typically you have a little bit of a sense about how you feel about the bank and how the bank feels about you. Mm. Sometimes banks will do kind of invite-only events. Well, they'll you know they'll select the candidates that they like, mm-hmm. and they'll start sort of narrowing down the path mm. uh, or narrowing down the pool, I should say, of of available candidates. And so then in November, you've got about a month uh, to prep for interviews, which occur in the beginning of the new year, right? The week prior to school starting, and that's generally plenty of time. I mean, most of the uh, the people recruiting for banking didn't go on any crazy treks over winter break. Yeah. But they did get uh, very familiar with M and A models and accounting rules and you know those sorts of things. So, right. I would argue it's equally as fun, if not more fun, than you know taking a trek to Cuba with your classmates. But yeah. others might disagree with me on that <laughs> point. But then you come back and you interview, and the interviews, uh, yeah, they're they're fast and furious. But mm-hmm. within a week or so, you've been invited to final round interviews, and um, probably after two or three weeks, you'll you'll sort of know where you're going to be ending up over the summer. So for these on-campus interviews, yeah. the uh, OCIs, when do you hear back uh, after you apply in November? Yeah, so it's real quick. I don't recall the exact timeline, but it's within a week or a week and a half. Got it. Basically, the banks have a, a short window of time to get back to you. And moving back even a little bit more about the coffee chats, yeah. um, I know one of the things that I've read through, mm-hmm. you know, Breaking to Wall Street yep. or any of these blogs, they say, you know, make sure your story is consistent uh, because they do document and keep notes uh, that the banks do, right? Yeah, uh, over these coffee chats. Do. And so, at what point were you kind of crafting your story or uh, really practicing that portion of it? I mean, you have to start right away. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, it's natural. Um, hopefully, it's you know the truth, and it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, uh, but. Easy to come up with the material, always harder to structure it in a way that resonates. Mm. Um, Fortunately, throughout this process, you've probably got over a hundred touch points with bankers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you're, you know, sort of monitoring how they react to your story, 
some respond better to certain stories about you know certain projects you worked on. Others sort of you know brush you aside when you mention a certain part of your prior job. Mm-hmm. You sort of start to tweak it. And that's the beauty of it. By the time you're at the interview phase, you've got it down. Mm-hmm. You've talked to hundreds of people through the tent events, through the treks, through the, you know, the coffee chats that right. you've done. You've talked to a lot of people. And so eventually you've honed it down. You know, during that process, you kind of have to decide on what group you want to be in. Yeah. You can't go through, you can't wait until November to decide if you want to be a tech banker or if you want to be an M&A banker. That's tough because... You know, you only have a few weeks to kind of figure out what it is that you want to do. So you figure that out and then you kind of pick and choose your coffee chats. Is that what you're saying? Yes and no. I mean, for me, I didn't know exactly what, I, what it was that I wanted to do within the bank. Uh-huh. Um, for me, I wanted to get a generalist experience, which is, which is what I'm doing at Morgan Stanley this summer. But it was through these coffee chats that kind of helped me realize that. And so I would say, and I would advise people to sort of treat them cautiously. Initially, treat them as a fact-finding mission, mm-hmm. trying to understand where you, you would best fit in within Got the it. bank and what's most interesting to you. And then as you hone it in, you have to sort of choose something. At um, what point are you making this decision? Well, they'll ask. Um, and it's not always explicit, but mm-hmm. if you talk to one person at a bank and then you tell their peer or their colleague that you want to do something else, that's sort of... Um, you know, talk to each they'll other. They'll see that, yeah. yeah. And a big point here is location. Unlike you know consulting firms, which generally recruit nationwide mm-hmm. and will put you in whatever office has need, banks aren't like that. Right. Uh, each office has its own hiring needs. So, for instance, if you wanted to work in Barclays, L.A. versus Barclays, Menlo Park, you better be very clear. Right. um, Because Barclays, L.A. is doing something not very different, but different enough from the Menlo Park group that if you say, I'm interested in both, and you sort of, they're going to say, well, so what are you interested in? Are you interested in financial sponsors or are you Mm -hmm. interested in tech? Both investment banking, but within the investment banking world, fairly different. So, So, So you're quite unique in that you wanted to end up in L.A., yeah, LA has a lot of benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, great place to live. It's unique in that it's got a, a very diversified industrial base. I mean, Sean, you you know that there's a lot of different things in LA. Everything yeah. from entertainment to car parts right, to, right. to lights. Uh, but I guess my question is, how did the trek and the coffee chat experience go for you? For someone looking to be in LA, sure. In so we did a trek to LA. Mm-hmm. The finance club, Diego Diaz and other folks organized a trek down there where we spent two days just visiting. Prob- we probably visited eight to 10 different companies mm-hmm. in a rapid fire manner. Um, not all were investment banks, but some asset management firms, investment advisors, you know, so on and so forth. But doing that was great. It gave me an opportunity to kind of learn firsthand what some of the the different boutiques in LA are doing, for instance, Houlihan Loki mm-hmm. and Molis, yeah. uh, both both big banks which have headquarters or huge regional offices in LA. Mm. I believe Molis is now headquartered in New York, but mm-hmm. Ken Molis spends a lot of time, from my understanding, in LA. So, yeah. you know, sort of a flagship office. But other banks, so for instance, I mentioned Barclays, you know, they're doing financial sponsors down there because there's so many private equity firms. Had you not visited, you know, that office, you may not have been able to know that that was their specific focus. Makes sense. Um, great what, group, but yeah, so it's important to to do that. What about the coffee chats? How did that work? Yeah, so it's a little harder because I wasn't in LA most of the time. I live in Berkeley during the school year anyways. So that, I had a couple coffee chats in person when I was down there for the trek and other times I was down there for 
other things mm-hmm. um, throughout the semester. So when I was there and people were available, I would schedule an in-person coffee chat. Mm. When not available, and this was the vast majority of the quote-unquote coffee chats, I had them over the phone. Mm. So from what I'm reading, do they really break it down into industry groups and product groups? Yeah, or? I mean, especially on the West Coast where you've got smaller offices. Like, so Barclays is a prime example, I think. Big tech group up here, mm. financial sponsors group in LA. Mm. Um, so meaning in LA, they're doing a lot of LBOs or working with private equity firms. Makes sense. Up here, you know, it's tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they've got a Levfin team that sits up here as well. Mm. That might be uh, just sort of dedicated to tech. I'm not entirely sure, but if you know if you're interested in LA and you're interested in Barclays, for instance, mm-hmm. it's helpful to say why you might be interested in sponsors. You're the only one that's going down to LA for an internship, yeah. right? Yeah, um, we had a few people recruiting, including mm-hmm. the second year. Okay, but I don't think anyone else landed a job down there this year. So during your treks and coffee chats, uh, did you speak with a lot of Haas alums? Yeah, it depends. Usually the Haas alums were a great place to start your contact. Okay. So they're usually people that showed up to the tent events on campus, you know, the, the presentations. Mm-hmm. And so therefore they were the first people that you would, you know, receive business cards from. Mm-hmm. And then from that, usually what would happen is you talk to them and then you, you know, you you say, hey, this is really great. Are there other people at your, you know, your firm or in your office that I should talk to? And they'll say, oh yeah, let me let me connect you to you know X Y Z person. So oh. it's sort of sometimes it, it's exponential, right? Because they'll refer you to two people, and those people refer you to two more people, and you, then you end up talking to ten or fifteen people at the bank, right? Um, and eventually you're like, well, I've talked to everyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so usually starts with a Haas person or whoever the recruiter is for Haas. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's an associate that's assigned to the school. And then go from there. But Hasis are great throughout the process. It's always good to have somebody who's an ally. And mm-hmm. I found that every every Hasi I spoke to was always looking out for my best interest. Got it. And, and are these coffee chats similar to, um, like in consulting, they call it the, the airport test? I, I assume so. Yeah, I would have to assume so. Where well, they're mean, just really kind of testing you for culture fit and... Yeah. Okay. They want to because they, they're not obviously not asking you any technical questions or. Well, let's not. They? Uh, they they will sometimes. I I don't remember being personally asked technical questions, mm-hmm. but they will ask you. You know, sort of a, what you think about the industry. Got uh, it. Perhaps sometimes they'll ask you about different deals you're following. Yeah. They'll ask you. You know, maybe maybe they'll dig a little bit deeper into a point of, that you brought up about your prior career and how mm-hmm. that's relevant to banking. I think I think one thing is if they think you may not have the technical chops, they'll ask you more technical questions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a minimum amount of accounting and finance skills that you need to sort of get the job. And they want to make sure that you've got that minimum. But then beyond that, they can teach you. So mm-hmm. I think for me, I was fairly lucky in that I have, you know, sort of the accounting background. So I don't think I was grilled as tough as I could have been mm-hmm. because I've demonstrated through my CPA and CFA credentials that I've got some knowledge yeah, yeah. Um, and the rest of which that they can hopefully teach me on the job. Makes sense. Well, when did you get your CFA? So I got my CFA while working at Cornerstone Research. Okay. Um, I spent, so prior to starting, I did the CPA exams. And then while I was there, I really, this was sort of really wide, sort of geared towards finances mm-hmm. that I was working on a lot of capital markets projects, litigations mm-hmm. related to IPOs and other sort of securities that were you know, publicly traded. And I found that the CFA material was really relevant to my job. And so I took level one, thought it was a tough exam, but was fortunate enough to pass. And mm-hmm. then I said, well, if I pass level one, maybe I could try level two. Mm-hmm. 
Level two was a lot harder, but <laughs> I passed. Um, and then I said, well, if I can pass level two, there's no turning back now. I have to, I just have to finish it. Yeah. So I just uh, gritted my teeth and went for it. Nice. Um, and was lucky enough that my work experience at Cornerstone Research counted for the required four years of work experience that you need to you know, become a CFA charter holder. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was a, sort of a, a side gig that I had while, uh, while working. That's cool. Well, I mean, it seems like, uh, well, you're one of the few people that I talked to that has a very clear idea of where you're going to get out of this MBA. Can you just, last question is, yeah. can you share some of your experiences or just advice for incoming students? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the great thing about the MBA is it's going to expose you to so many things that you would not have thought even existed. Hmm. And so I would encourage anyone that's coming to the MBA to use it as a way to broaden their horizons, especially if you have sort of a technical background and you're looking to kind of polish off the rest of your skill set. Don't be afraid of taking classes and things that you would never think would be important. So for instance, I've took a public speaking class and I've mm-hmm. taken some of the more soft skill classes instead of perhaps, you know, the more hardcore finance classes. Right. Maybe I would be pegged as a type of person that would take the finance classes, but I found that the other, the other sort of soft skill courses are, are areas that I had no exposure to previously. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the business school experience as a sort of a finishing school, if you will, mm-hmm. a way to round off the edges that are sharp, you know, the way to explore new things and to come into the next phase of my career with a little bit more of a diverse perspective on how business works. Mm-hmm thinking about how organizations run from a management side as opposed to just a financial side, thinking about you know, how people react to certain things in meetings depending on how the meetings are structured. Right. So really trying to get that broad-based education. And this is definitely part of the reason why I chose Haas. We have a core curriculum, which is you know, sort of mandated on every student. I, you can test out of accounting and finance and economics, which I did, mm-hmm. but you also sort of forced to, or I wouldn't say forced. Required. You're, you're required. Yeah, you're able to. You're, you're fortunate enough to take mm-hmm. a really well-designed arc of curriculum that yeah. you know takes that looks beyond just the nuts and bolts of business. It's right. you know from leading people to you know ethics that I'm taking now. It's yeah. it's just very it's a very well-prepared arc that gives you a pretty diverse exposure to business. That's it's something that I, I didn't see in my master's of accounting. It's something that you might not see in a master's of finance. Right. And so the business school experience may not, uh, you know, give you the most, the deepest skills, certainly not at Haas, perhaps, in contrast to, say, a PhD program. But what it will do is it will help you think about things and look at the world through a different lens. And that's what I'm here for. And I'm here to, you know, try new things. I, I, for instance, this semester, I've worked with a startup, a single person startup. Oh, wow. A technical founder who's working on a biotechnology product. Wow. Uh, very out of my wheelhouse, but also very interesting to see business at that state in its sort of development. Likely not where I spend my career, but also really great to see such a small part of a larger economy. Yeah. And so doing things like that, going to conferences, participating in case competitions, stock pitches, you know, it's all these sort of things where you can you can fail mm-hmm. without any consequences. I mean, the consequence, there are consequences, but there aren't drastic. Right, it's, right. A, it's just a way to learn. Yep. Um, even trying new management styles and meetings, whether it's you know with your your cohort or your peers or for a group project, you know, just trying trying a different technique that maybe you hadn't tried at work because the consequences seemed higher. Right. Things like that. And you know, knowing that if it doesn't work 
well, then you can try something else next time. Right. Just a really quick follow-up. Uh, yeah. you, you talked about case competitions. For people without a background in finance yeah. and looking to get into finance, what are some case competitions you would recommend? So I've only really participated in one. We've, we're doing a stock pitch competition mm-hmm. um, with a couple people in the investment club. Mm-hmm. What is that? Uh, it's through the Global School of Management, I believe. It's Yale School of Management. Is that the one in London? No. So this is one through Yale. We put together, so Jake Wamala, Dan Clayton, Melissa Holm, and TJ Bakshi and I put together a portfolio back in October of Mm. five stocks that we've been tracking, and we're tracking till the end of May to see how they perform. Right now, we're in number one. Nice. Shameless plug. We're (laughs) up uh, up 26% on our benchmark. Representing us. The S&P 500, yeah. Uh, Fortunately, we've had some some bad returns in the S&P 500 and some mm-hmm. good returns in our in our portfolio. Uh, portfolio. But we're hoping to finish off the month strong. That's um, great. So we put together a stock pitch and a portfolio related to the pitch and uh, been tracking it closely every day. Well, best of luck to that. Thank you. I have a feeling that we're definitely going to try to follow up with you. That's right. Uh, I appreciate that. After your internship and kind of see how things go. Yeah, definitely. I, would, I look forward to it. Thanks for being on today. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast, or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 